Let's continue our reading in Acts 10. So we'll begin at verse 24 now here. On the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So, when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who was called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And so this is our text for this morning, verses 34 through 36. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears Him and does what, what is right is acceptable to Him. As for the word that He sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come, from, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have? Then he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the, un, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them 
in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So far, the reading from God's Word. After the sermon, we'll sing the remaining stanzas of Psalm 87, the stanzas 3, 4, and 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, it should be quite a relief to us to hear the words that we heard in our text this morning, to be, reassure, to be reassured of this truth, that peace with God, salvation through His Son Jesus Christ, is for every kind of person. You don't have to be an Israelite. You don't have to be a Jew. You don't have to be European You don't have to be old and wise. You don't have to be rich or poor. There is no category of person that you have to be a part of before qualifying for salvation in Jesus Christ. In our passage, we see how there needed to be a shift in understanding for the church about this truth. First, the Apostle Peter had to come to this understanding. And then he had to act on it. He had to defend it and explain it to the church in Jerusalem. And the shift in understanding is this. Salvation is not only for Jews, but it is for anyone at all who believes in Jesus Christ. Salvation is for people of every nation, people from every culture, And this is the general progression that we see in the work of the gospel in the book of Acts from the very beginning of the commission of the apostles until 
our text this morning. You get glimpses of the trajectory that the church is on. For us, it seems quite obvious. With our 2020 vision, we see this quite clearly. Jesus said this in in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says to his apostles, you're going to be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, and then in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So we can see that this is This is God's plan for the world, for the church, that the gospel will go through the entire world. It's meant for every kind of person. We're we're pretty quick to judge the apostles, Jesus' disciples on this sometimes. You know, how do they not see this? We can see it. Why couldn't they see it? There are actually a number of examples of, of this sort of thing, and, and we're quick to judge in, in those instances too. For example, how many times did Jesus tell his disciples while he was performing his earthly ministry that he would suffer and that he would die, and on the third day he would rise from the dead? We see that and go, yes, of course, and his disciples don't see it. We have to remember that we're sitting here judging Judging this fact after centuries of the church learning these things and, and, and teaching them to her people. We have to remember that all of these developments are actually pretty abrupt. They happen quite quickly. And so all of God's people here are completely reshaping their understanding about what it means to be the church, what it means to be the people of God. It's a new understanding about who belongs to the church. This is what Peter says in our text in verse 34. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but He accepts men from every nation who fear Him and who do what's right. This is the message that God had sent to the people of Israel. So he gave this message to the people of Israel so that they could spread it to everyone else. The good news of peace with God through Jesus Christ. What exactly is the essence of the realization? What is the essence of the shift that's happening here? What was going on with the vision that Peter had? What's going on with this big sheet that's full of all different kinds of animals? How does Peter conclude what he does from what he sees? You know, he sees this sheet with all of these animals. How does he come to the conclusion that because of what he sees here, now he has to start treating people differently? People who aren't Jews. Right? So, let's recap a little bit. In Peter's vision, he sees this sheet this blanket type thing that is lowered from heaven and on this sheet is this collection of animals, not just any animals, but a very specific category of animals. All of these animals were forbidden for Jews to eat. They were all considered unclean animals. Now what does that mean? What are unclean animals? Well, most of us are familiar enough with some of the practices today of Jewish people. They don't eat pork. That's probably the most well-known thing. Jews don't eat pork. They only eat kosher food. That means that it's a part of Jewish 
religious practice to, to, to not eat food that God has called unclean. And you can find a list of these foods in Leviticus chapter 11. I invite you to, to look that up at some point and go through this list. There's, there's quite a list there. So in verse 4 of chapter 11 in Leviticus, you can't eat camels. You can't eat conies. I think that's some type of wild hare. You can't eat rabbits, pigs. You, you can eat sea creatures, but you can only eat sea creatures that have both fins and scales. So you can't eat octopus, none of that. No, no deep-fried calamari. And the list continues. There are certain foods that the people of God can eat and foods that they can't. You can't eat food that God says, this is unclean. So again, what exactly does that mean? What does it mean that they are unclean? Does it mean that this food is, is dirty? That it's bad for you? That it's poisonous? Is that what it means? That, that unclean foods are not as healthy for you as other foods, and so you know, God is sort of doing a favor for his Old Testament church by saying, you know, don't eat these because it, it, it just isn't healthy enough for you. There's better food out there for you. I'm protecting you from, you know, from eating harmful, dirty foods. Is that what's going on? Well, no. Actually, that's not what is happening. In verse 4 of Leviticus 11, the first animal that's mentioned is the camel, and an explanation is given there. It says, don't eat camel because it is ceremonially unclean for you. So there's nothing wrong with the meat itself. There's nothing dirty about it. There's nothing unhealthy about it. But for one reason or another, God said that this animal, I'm declaring it ceremonially unclean or spiritually unclean. It's unclean in a symbolic way. And so God was using these rules in order to teach something to His people. He's teaching them something about what it takes to be able to live with Him. Right? So God is perfect. God is pure. God is holy. And He's teaching His people, you aren't perfectly pure and holy, but I'm making a relationship with you. I want to live with you. And so there's something that needs to be done about this. That's why there are all of these rules about how to draw near to God. There were all of these rules for especially the priests. The priests were the ones who were given the task of actually going into the tabernacle or going into the temple. And once a year, the high priest would be able to go into the most holy place, a really dangerous thing to do. And so God is giving all of these laws, teaching them, There's a way that you can come in before me. There's all of this washing that you have to do. There's all of this um, purity uh, observance that you have to do in order to come before me and not just be uh, consumed with holy fire. The priests wore special clothes. They washed themselves. They washed everything that was used in all of the ceremonies. Right? Washing before going in to see the Lord. It's not, that, it's not that God hates you know, dust on your skin. 
because that's really what you're doing when you're taking water and washing your body. You're, you're washing physical dirt off. It's not that God hates dirt, but He's teaching something through this. He's saying your body and your soul must be washed from sinful pollution before drawing near to God. That cleansing must occur. Right? And so for for this whole list of animals, it wasn't just that you couldn't eat them, but you couldn't even touch, let's say, their their carcasses. If you touched the, the dead body of, let's say, a lizard, or a a gecko or something, well, then that meant that you were unclean for the rest of the day. You were unclean until evening, and then you would wash yourself. It was a ceremonial washing, but then as soon as you washed yourself, now you could come into the temple. Let's say you plan to go to the temple. I like to use this uh, this example. It was an example that my own pastor used, and I'm not going to think of another one because it's just so clear and it's stuck in my head for, for so many years. But he always said, if you're sitting there at, the, at your breakfast table and a gecko falls in your Cheerios and you plan to go to the temple that day, well, sorry, you have to change your plans. You're unclean for the rest of the day. And there was, it didn't mean that you were more sinful because you became unclean. It was just you were ceremonially unclean. And in the Old Testament, in, in daily life, there were a thousand ways that you could become unclean. All it meant was you can't come and enter into the temple courts today. You've been ceremonially polluted. Stay away, wash yourself, and then come back. Now you can come back before the Lord. What's God teaching through all of this? Well, God is teaching that He is holy, that He is perfect, that He is clean, and all through the entire world is is all of this stuff that can pollute you. The world is full of sin and pollution. It's impossible to perfectly keep oneself from being stained by all of this. It's impossible. You will become polluted from time to time. But in order to live with God, the pollution must be cleaned off. You have to have the sinfulness that is inside you somehow washed away. And if you are clean, if you are clean, now you can come before God. You can be with Him. You can be in a relationship with Him. You can receive His his love and His grace. If you are sinful, if you are polluted, and it stays on you, then God is against you. God is at odds with you. You do not have peace with God. But this is the gospel that's being declared. This is the gospel that Peter mentioned. What is the gospel? It's peace with God. Peace with God, despite the pollution that we naturally have within us. That's the... That's the purpose of all of these clean and unclean laws, the purity laws. But something went wrong with the way that God's people used these laws. You see, the way that the Israelites observed these things, the way that they kept the purity laws, it made them really unique among all the nations that surrounded them. It made them different from everyone else. Imagine for a moment that We're living here in Canada, and 
Canadian Reformed people are the only people who don't like and who, who, who are forbidden to eat burgers and poutine and pizza and Timbits. Everyone else eats these things, but, but we, don't eat, we don't eat Timbits because God has, has said that they're unclean. The purity laws were supposed to teach God's people about being clean from sin, but instead God's people were using them to define what it meant to be a person of God. If, if we see somebody eating this or that, then we can clearly see this person is not one of God's people. You imagine going out you know, to the mall or, or wherever and you see somebody eating a Timbit and then you know, oh, this person does not love God. That's sort of what was going on eating unclean food. You could clearly distinguish us versus them. This is the way Peter lived for his whole life, right? Never partook in any of these foods. And so in his vision, in his vision, there's this voice that says, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. He has never eaten one of these things before. And so that's Peter's response. No way. No way. Nothing unclean has ever entered my mouth. I've never done this. I'm certainly not going to start now. And this would be a very good and faithful response to, you know, maybe a test. But the voice says again, no, do it. Don't call anything impure that God has called clean or that God has made clean. There's this whole collection of animals, God's people, and, or, or things, will expand that category, this big collection of items, people, places, things, that God has said they are unclean, don't have anything to do with them, but now God is saying, I have made them clean. You don't have to avoid them anymore. God was using these things to teach His people, but now He's teaching His people through the work of Jesus Christ. There's no need anymore for laws about what you can eat or drink. Things that used to be unclean are now clean. You won't be defiled from them. And that included spending time with certain people too. It's not that you wouldn't, it it wasn't only that there were certain foods, but you wouldn't hang out with Gentiles. You wouldn't have Gentile friends. But through this vision, Peter realizes that he has to stop that practice. He sees very clearly how God is directing all of these things. It's so clear in in that passage. I think it became really clear as, as we heard that story being repeated over and over about these visions. It was God himself that was directing all of this. God sent this angel to Cornelius' house. God is the one who opened the heavens and caused this vision of the, of the sheet to come down. God is the one who spoke to Peter and said, I have sent these ones to you. This is all God's doing. And so Peter is realizing now, his whole life, he's never gone into a Gentile's house to fellowship with them But now he has to start doing that. God is telling him to do this. Why? Because God receives as his own anyone who believes in him, no matter where they're from. This is a big change in 
the religious life of the people of God. The law that was functioning as a tutor while that time of teaching was done because Jesus Christ had come and done his work. Galatians 3 verse 24 says there, the law was a tutor. It was teaching God's people. It was showing them what needed to be done. It was a tutor to bring us to Christ. Now Christ has come. The time of needing that particular tutor was over. It's pretty remarkable how how Cornelius, this Gentile, is introduced in our passage. He and his whole family are very devout. They are God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need. He prays to God regularly. And this is what the angel testifies about. The angel who appears to Cornelius teaches us how we should think about that. The angel says, your prayers and your gifts for the poor, to the poor... These have come up as a memorial offering before the Lord. The life of devotion that he lived, this was his sacrifice. This was his religious observance. So even though this man didn't do all of the the Jewish external practices, including animal sacrifices, all of the ceremonial washings, yet God considered him righteous because of what was in his heart. His devotion to God, his love for the poor, he showed that he feared God and belonged to him. It showed that God had renewed Cornelius' heart with his own spirit. What pleases God more? What pleases God? Doing all of the things to the letter of the law, all the regularly scheduled washings and sacrifices, while the heart doesn't really care. What's more pleasing to God, that sort of observance or actually having a heart of love for God and for our neighbors? Psalm 51, 16 and 17, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. What are the sacrifices of God? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So what does Peter take away from all this? What's the big question that has to be answered? Well, the big question that's being answered is, who is acceptable to God? Who can possibly belong to God? How can anyone be made clean and suitable for fellowship with God? Well, the answer is in our text, the thing that Peter says he now realizes. God sent this message to the people of Israel, the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5 verse 1. If you have sin and filth on you, you do not have peace with God. But Jesus Christ has washed us. And the promise of Christ's washing is for every kind of person. Christ's blood washes away your sins and makes you clean. That's the only thing you need. In order to receive God's hearty welcome, you only need one thing, to be washed clean by Christ's blood. 
when Cornelius and his household, when they display to Peter the truth that they do in fact belong to God, right? This was confirmed for Peter through what they all observed. They saw clear evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in their hearts. He finds it necessary that they should be baptized immediately, right? He sees that God has has called them to be his. And so he says, what stops them from being baptized? So they receive the sign and seal of something that God has already conferred upon them, but Peter wants to, to make it formal. When we think of our own baptisms, right, we think of how we are in this category of persons that is unacceptable to God because of our sins. Every single one of us is born unclean, spiritually impure. We're conceived and born in sin. This is, we hear this in the, in the form for baptism. Conceived and born in sin, subject to all sorts of misery, even to condemnation. And yet, what are we assured of? That because of God's promises, because of, because of His claim on us, we become sanctified in Christ, and therefore we ought to be baptized. There's only one thing that takes us from the category of unacceptable to acceptable, and that is actually being washed by the blood of Christ. Only one thing can give us that peace with God. Only one thing that can give us that access into His presence, being washed by Christ's blood. If you have been baptized, you can remember and be assured of the way that God has dealt with you so graciously. You didn't deserve this. You did not deserve this washing, this gift of salvation. If you were a baby when you were baptized, then boy, how clear is that? You had no hand in this. You were completely helpless. You, had, you didn't even know what was going on. You know, it's kind of neat this for this past year as all of us, uh, our, our local churches here, we've all started live streaming, recording all of our services and so for all of these kids that have been baptized in the past year, they can go back in the archives and actually see their own baptism. A lot of us don't have that, but we have you know, certificates of our baptism. We have the, the church records, and so we can be assured that, yes, at one time we have been baptized. We were helpless. We, it was not our decision. This was God Himself acting upon us saying, this one is mine. I am claiming this one as my own, and I am washing this child with the blood of my dear son, Jesus Christ. If there's anyone who is hearing this, who isn't part of the church community, who hasn't received this sign and seal, who hasn't been baptized, you can know that this promise can be for you too. Come and be baptized. 
be assured that Christ's blood is for you too. There's nothing that you have to do to earn that right. There's nothing that you have to do to qualify for that. It's a free gift, and God renews your heart and, and calls you to a new life after you have been saved. God's grace is for every single kind of sinner like we all are. At one time, we were all foreigners and strangers, separated from God without hope, but the gospel has come to us. Wherever our family comes from, whatever nation our ancestors belong to, salvation is for every kind of person. Thank God for this generosity. Thank the Lord for His steadfast love. Amen.